0: As any film fan knows, music plays a huge role in shaping the tone of any film. And on a special holiday edition of Discologist, we're exploring some of the best to ever put sound to image, starting with John Carpenter. His new score for the film Firestarter mines familiar territory for the director-composer, but manages to be a unique and essential addition to his growing film score catalog. So dim the lights and break out the popcorn. We're headed to the movies. Show. Uh I'm back trying in the to be befo- professional. Yeah, I know. I know. We aren't. <laughs> so um back in the before times, uh, you visited the basement uh many, many, many times. Um mm-hmm. and uh and then we sort of moved on. You 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 headed up to Portland. everybody vacated DC. It was weird. Yeah. But probably for the better, I think. Because you know what's not gonna happen? We're not gonna burn up in global warming. You're going to get blown up by Yellowstone, but we're, we got all the water, man. We've talked, you know, you're,
1: you're always worried about Yellowstone. We're, we're all worried about the, uh, the Cascadia subduction zone right off the coast. Like that's the one that's going to get us.
0: Yep. 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 At at any rate, um, man, we should be talking about San Andreas. I should have put that in the, (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if that soundtrack's good. Uh, no, this is, this is like a special edition because one thing, we joked about a lot was doing uh, a, a podcast about movies because we watch about a lot of movies. We argue about a lot of movies. I think mm-hmm. like at the, at our core we agree a lot, but there's definitely these wild like, divergences. Um, and you know that's fine. That's how you learn, right? Yeah. That's how you like watch different stuff. I would have never watched Mandy, which we're going to talk about, uh, if it weren't for you and uh, actually Eduardo. Because I just was like, no, this is this I can't. This is this is gonna be gross. And it was like, oh no, this this is amazing. But uh, what we're gonna be talking about today is original uh, motion picture scores, which is near and dear to my heart. I've said it many, many times on this show. The reason that I love music is because of that damn Empire Strikes Back soundtrack. And we'll get we'll, we'll 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 get to John Williams, but when I when I was well, I don't even know how old I was when that came out, but I wanted um, the storybook. Back then, you could get records of a movie, so and I still have the one. I eventually got it, but you have the Empire Strikes Back storybook record, and it, like has little scenes from the movie cut up in like an album length, so kids can digest it, right? Yeah, I mean you've got a five year old, so you're like you probably yeah. like reading him stuff like that it's like condensed versions of stuff absolutely so my parents uh and i don't know how they did this either cuz we lived in bedford virginia um went out and got the john williams score and i played it like five times and there was no dialogue i was like what the fuck is going on here man? like i don't understand this uh but i was hooked uh, and i was hooked by uh, john williams and then i started to explore like other stuff and ever since then, I've been paying attention to uh, music and movies and to the point that, like, now the music that I make uh, is heavily influenced by a lot of this. But we're going to we're going to get to that. Uh, what we decided to do this for, though, was basically a filmmaking legend. And I think. Is he is John Carpenter, the most multidisciplinary director you can think of?
1: Oh, boy, that's uh that's a good question. I mean, I would put David Lynch up there with him because of his mm-hmm. uh, visual arts background and the mm-hmm. fact that he does music as well. But, you know, it's not a contest. Like, these are guys who can do every aspect of filmmaking and then branch out beyond that to, uh, to other arts as well. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And John Carpenter famously, uh, aside from pretty much starting the horror genre with Halloween, he did the score. Um, that uh we I'm not even going to play it because everybody knows it. You know, what the score for Halloween sounds like. It is like burned into your mind. Uh, even if you've never seen Halloween, if you hear that, you know, something is fucking wrong.
1: Um A couple years ago, he, I mean, I, hold on, hold on. I, I assume you mean started like the modern slash, the modern. Genre, yeah, right? yeah. 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 The
0: modern slasher genre. Excuse me.
1: Okay. See, this is going to fall apart really fast. <laughs> here we, here we just, just making sure.
0: <laughs> um, but uh, so back in the day, he did movies like Halloween. He did movies like The Thing. He did Escape from New York and all this stuff. And he he, he scored all these stuff on, like, at the time they were new, but, like, really kind of low-tech synths. And he was interested in in how these sounds, because, you know, bigger movies had the London Symphony Orchestra, for example, playing on it. Uh, and he was interested in, in, like, DIY stuff, and that's what he had available to him. So he put that in the in the films. It worked because his films were kind of DIY low budget themselves, right? If you – any of those movies, except for The Thing, I think. Any of those movies, you look at them and you're like, wow, this is like shoestring budget, highly effective. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's effective because he he could touch like every part of it and make it like work together. Like think about The Fog. Like, <laughs> that movie is literally just like shots of fog.
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, not always to its benefit, but uh no. yeah. <laughs> but the music is it sets the tone for that,
0: and the music sets the tone in music. It always has in film. It always has. Um, him and his son now started working on stuff. Cody Carpenter, along with Daniel Davies, they started working on music together. Uh, they did the reboot of Halloween, or not even, that wasn't even a reboot. I think it was like Halloween Kills, um, uh, the one that Danny McBride did. Um, oh, and yeah. yeah, and so they did that and now they have all these different what's hilarious. they have all these like insane tools at the, their disposal, and it still ends up sounding pretty much like what it sounded like back in the 70s. Um, but the movies haven't changed, I don't think. If you saw that Halloween, you it, it was not um, like a Bloomhouse film, which Firestarter is, by the way, a Bloomhouse film. It was very uh, old school and very like compact. You, know, you didn't. It wasn't a, like a final destination. You know, you didn't have to have any high high special effects or anything. Um, for Firestarter, though, I want to play a track from this right now. That um, this is the end credits, but end credits for movies are for me some of the most important. It, it's how if if you are like a say an indie rock fan like you, Paul who doesn't you do enjoy some classical music and stuff but if you don't like know that stuff and you need to like get into it they're always going to drop every single theme pretty much in the end credits right it's going to be a a big montage of stuff and you get an idea what it what it is like so i'm going to play a little this and we'll come back and talk a little bit about Far Starter. That's the end titles for Firestarter. Uh, that track is probably better than the movie. It's sad to say. <laughs> um, I, I say that as a lifelong Stephen King fan. Uh, had high hopes. Uh, it wasn't terrible, but it was it was not, not really what I needed at the time. When you hear music like that, what does that tell you, Paul, about the film you just saw? Or a film you're about to see?
1: Uh, well, it it tells you that it's going to focus pretty intensely on uh, suspense. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it's probably going to be uh, as much about what you're not seeing as what you are, and when you do see something, it's probably going to scare the crap out of you. That's uh, yeah, because <laughs> it it builds that underlying dread, so that you're you're building the tension throughout the scene, throughout the movie, and then suddenly you get popped. And sometimes it's you know, what What you saw with Halloween, you know, you're watching through the mask of the killer sometimes, and you're hearing this right. build up and you're, you're, even though you're in the POV of the killer, you're feeling the tension from the person who doesn't see him coming. And then sometimes you're in the POV of the potential victim. And you don't know that the killer's waiting behind the waiting behind the curtain. Like yeah. it's, it's intense.
0: It, it is. And this is, what's funny about like this soundtrack is like, this is a little, it's a little more refined than it, but he definitely leans back. On that staccato trick that he, mm-hmm. he utilized in Halloween. In Halloween, whenever, like, especially if it goes to the looking out of the eyes of the shape, right? It's like, it starts that den din, 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 But there's points in that. And there's actually points in Firestarter and there's points across the soundtrack where he, it just, it plays that. And then there's nothing going on, but you're like, oh, shit.
1: Something. Yeah, they can fake <laughs> Some, you out. You're like, about to. the the music's here. I know it's going to happen, and then yeah. nothing happens. Yeah, yeah,
0: and and if you think if if you try to divide for me, I think about this a lot. If you try to divide film from music, and imagine a film like Firestarter or or Halloween or any of Carpenter's films without music, it it becomes kind of silly, you know? Because like like Firestarter would just be there's all this dramatic music. A lot of it is based around the uh, main character Charlie burning shit down. Um, Mm -hmm. And, um, and you've got, there's throughout the soundtrack, there are your standard, I guess with movie, like you have to have like the slow theme, you have to have the, uh, the, the bad guy theme, you have to have all this stuff, but it it just sort of, it it, it makes this, it sets a tone for something that is maybe more interesting than what's going on on the screen. If you think about Halloween... If there was no music in that, it'd basically be a movie about a guy walking around who occasionally kills people, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you'd be watching, and maybe is maybe that's avant-garde. Maybe somebody will make that film.
1: Well, I think people have made that film. It's yeah. just uh, it's not usually all that interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think your point is well taken there. That they, they, the filming. And the story were so minimalist with Halloween yeah. that a lot of the, a lot of the tension and some of the depth of the movie, and one of the main reasons that it's still considered just a stone cold classic of the genre and beyond the genre of just film in general, is because of how well it plays with the soundtrack mm-hmm. and how the two are just inextricable from each other. Yeah,
0: and we've gotten into an age where where we do this with uh, sound effects now. Mm-hmm. I don't know where you are on this. Um I prefer the musical cues. Uh there's there can be there's a lot of good work that can be done in sound design. But at the end of the day, you know, just hearing something like behind me doesn't quite get me. Like you you could you could be playing that theme like 5 minutes running up to something like bad happening. And yeah. every minute that goes on I'd be like, "Oh god, oh god, what's happening? What's going to happen? What's going to happen?" Until it let's go and then
1: you're like, oh, "Whoo." It was was over, but he's a... uh, Well, I I don't want to get too, you know, out there on this, but some of it is probably just the philosophy of filmmaking, right? Mm -hmm. And this is not a rule that's going to apply to to everybody. It's just kind of a general observation that probably when you get into some of the bigger, you know, effects-driven action movies, then they are going to be more about sound effects because they're thinking of themselves more as experiential than they are as a yeah. film. And when you've got film as an art form and somebody who really understands it, then I think you might be more likely to lean on the musical cues because the music and the movie are tied together just throughout history and throughout the the art itself. Yeah.
0: If, if you think about a movie like Firestarter versus like uh, say the, the Avengers series, right? The Avengers series mm-hmm. has a musical theme and everybody like pretty much knows it. But it is very, it is very like it's 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 almost like too big. It does it's expected. It doesn't it doesn't necessarily yeah. serve a purpose. It's you're already like when 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 Cap catches the hammer, you're already like fuck yeah. yeah. You don't need you don't need that that extra push. This stuff like does remarkable work, um, in creating moods uh, and and evoking reactions from an audience. I remember, um, and, and this is this is how scared I was of this movie. Uh, it follows. Uh, I don't remember the music, but I could not watch it because there was this underlying. And if I remember correctly, it was it was a very just low key, uh, lo-fi like soundtrack that was just, you know, just
1: hanging out there and it would occasionally like tweak you. I mean, like, hey, buddy, maybe something's about oh, man. I'm going to have to rewatch that because I, I- might just be a testament to the you know the tension in that movie, but I don't remember the music at all, which which is another interesting thing. Like we're talking about right scores where you remember the theme and the and the way that the and the way that the music is used within the movie, but there are others that I think can be just as effective where the it is so well integrated and it's so subtle mm-hmm. that you just don't even think about parsing them like that's not what carpenter does and carpenter's doing an entirely different no. thing yeah. but there are there are composers where it's so well lined up that you almost don't even notice that there's music there but if you pulled it out of the movie you'd think something was missing
0: yeah that's what i mean you, you think it was, this is silly what are, like what are they yeah. doing here it doesn't work um you know john wasn't the only one who used synths uh in fact in the 80s uh since we're new uh, you had two big names that we're going to talk about. Um, one of them recently passed away, Vangelis. He is a legendary Greek composer. Uh, another one made, and this this band was actually a band, so they did not necessarily just do movie scores. Tangerine Dream out of Germany uh, it was this duo, and they have they have a Warner brought me a release. It's like a live concert from a cathedral or something and and it's fantastic but it is very like craft worky and and it is very very much um very much of the time and what you would expect from that so a lot of repetition uh just kind of each song has a very specific vibe and that's it um they were tapped uh, they they did a lot of music also Toto did a lot of music for whatever reason soundtrack work <laughs> But Tangerine was tapped a lot in the eighties to do music. Uh, they did the music for one of my favorite films of all time, Miracle Mile. The star uh, Anthony Edwards and uh, oh, can't remember who else. But uh, it it was his it was supposed to be his breakout. I think of Mayor Winningham. It was supposed to be his breakout movie role. And to set up set it up, it was basically uh, this guy in Los Angeles in the Miracle Mile. He um, meets this girl. And he's like, hey, man, this is going well. This is this is, this is fun. Uh, and he's got a date for later on that night. And then he's walking around. He's walking out of the diner. Um, and the phone rings. This is back when we had pay phones. And he picks up the phone. And it's a kid in, like, Kansas or Nebraska or somewhere who is just yelling about the, the missiles have launched. They, they did it. They went and did it. They destroyed the world. And he's like, what? What are you talking about, dude? And it's, it's a real-time movie. So that means that, like from that point forward, you're in real time for what's happening. Uh, have you seen this, Paul? I haven't. Actually, oh my I'm god, aware of it, but I haven't we, seen when it. When you're out here in July, we will watch it. It's amazing. All right, but, but yeah, but so it's a real time movie, and and it's and it's it's a love story based around uh, trying to escape nuclear annihilation. And they put out the soundtrack for it that is all just electronic sense. It sounds. It, it, to many, it might sound cheesy. To me, it sounds exactly like uh, this stuff should sound. Uh, the name of the track I want to play off this is and Scales. This is actually the first song, and I don't even think it's it's in the credits. I think it just, like, it opens with this. But uh, this will give you a sense. Before you knew anything was going on in the movie, it says something is going on that's going to be pretty bad here. Here you go. and Scales from Andrew and Dream. Okay, Paul, you have not seen that movie. What does that tell you is going to happen in that film?
1: Well, I think my heart rate went up by about 20% during that. Right. It's uh, th- This is a movie that's going to be an absolute race against the clock. There's going to yeah. be a lot of running. There's going to be people getting <laughs> chased. <Yep>. <laughs> there- <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're going to have some real near misses.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then Pan Flute comes in it's supposed oh, to be boy. like it nor- normally calming right but it's just like mm. in that context it just feels a little like off because what you have under it sounds so sinister you know it's just that re- the repeating phrase going over and over and over and stuff like that when a composer like employs that correctly it it kind of just drills into your your skull and you eventually start having i think people start having like bad reactions to it it's 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 like quiet noise rock If you will, you know, it's like because and much like the Halloween theme and much like a lot of work on Firestarter, if you keep hitting this one note after 30 seconds, you're like, ha ha. Yeah. After after a minute, you're like, yeah, okay, I get it. And after two minutes, you're like, uh, (laughs) what's going to happen right now? You know, it just it's because it doesn't make any logical sense. What we want is like progression in, yeah. in a song we wanted to like get to a point and the point is it's to, supposed to evoke a feeling um that album that and that well that soundtrack has some very uh the love story is a big part of the movie and the love songs in it are are cheesy so so it is very much like and it was low budget too so this is like a stage play, essentially, like they're running around Los Angeles. I think there's a point where they're in a van, um, they're in a mall and whatnot. But it's very like one one small set, two small sets uh, where they're doing this. And and for a band that is like so steeped in electronics, if you see Tangerine Dream, they'll have like 15 keyboards and a pipe organ and shit to like plug into this very, very small film. Uh, it, it somehow worked, and and I I don't know if that is the like German film aesthetic. Maybe, um, you know, you think about like Wim Venders, like his films are very exact.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: you know, and and maybe maybe they get it from that, from being German, but it it combined the two. Um, you can forgive the cheesiness of the visuals, uh, like the wardrobe in this is not is not great. <laughs>
1: Well it was what early eighties? Yeah, it, 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 out, it was it was so. early eighties. It was early eighties. Don't expect um, much from the wardrobe in those movies. Also
0: around then, although I'll probably get to, when when did Blade Run
1: come out? What was that?
0: 83? 84? Yeah. And by all means it's probably the best sci fi movie ever made, right?
1: I mean I think that there's a discussion to be had about that, but uh, I wouldn't argue with somebody who wanted to call it the best sci-fi movie ever made. Uh, It's, you know, 2001 is, uh, is tough to topple up there as well. Yeah. Speaking of a different way of using uh, music in the movies, but yeah. Yeah. uh, Well, and 2001
0: did, yeah, 2001 did it very differently until like the end, like, or the beginning too, but like it it was, yeah, Uh, there was more use of space, but for Blade Runner, uh, Ridley Scott tapped this guy, Vangelis. Vangelis is very much like Tangerine Dream, people who are very into uh, into synthesizers. And again, around this time, we ha- we do have John Williams composing. We have a lot of other like people like composing these big symphonic scores, but sci-fi was seen as kind of like, "eh, those aren't real movies." So it's partially a budget constraint, partially uh, just like maybe it's all they could get. You know, people are like, what are you doing? You're making this like future movie, you know, with Harrison Ford, who
1: wasn't a big star yet, really? Well, I mean, sorry, it was 82. 82? Yeah. Yeah, so I was off by a year. I mean, he was still pretty big though because – But this was a move out of
0: Star Wars. He was big in Star Wars.
1: Yeah, Um, which was pretty big.
0: One thing I love and the reason I – Picked this track to play is because it has one of the most endearing pieces of dialogue in it. From, like, Mm. I don't care if you haven't seen Blade Runner, you know what this is. Um, It's been mocked. It's been, it it is just like a legendary scene, a legendary piece of writing. Uh, This Tears in the Rain, it's the last track on the soundtrack, uh, and it's Rutger Hauer's voice that you're going to hear. I've seen things you
1: people wouldn't believe. Hmm. Attack ships on fire off the shore of Orion. I watched sea bees glitter in the dark nearly ten hours a game. All those moments time.
0: If you heard that as an interlude on some modern rock album, a Radiohead album, you'd be like, "Yeah, that makes sense." Yeah, absolutely. Vangelis was so fucking rock and roll, like that he, like he had no reason to include that bit of dialogue in that piece of music, except for that it's fucking awesome.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that is reason enough. I mean, it, yeah. it's it's too short to be called a monologue, but that is one of the just most famous snippets of dialogue in the last 40 some odd years of filmmaking, probably. So mm-hmm. yeah, I might be and, overselling it because Blade Runner is one of my favorite movies, but it's awesome.
0: So. I, I, I don't think you are. And I think, I think that sound, I think if you hear that you uh, as a musician, you're going to kind of like be drawn to that and want to recreate it. Like that feeling, because, those two those two sentiments you know where, whereas the rest of the soundtrack in most original scores you're just hearing um, the the parts and you are it's it, it the composer is depending on your memory to remember it because in the film it's always paired together right but the composer is depending upon your memory but in that he's he's kind of saying like this is this is inextricable from this. Like this piece of music is this. This is the piece of music is what it means, and this is what you're gonna take from it. Um, which again, that's that's fucking rock and roll, dude. Yeah, that, that guy and, and that guy's sound didn't change. <laughs> that's the best part about Evangelist. It's like people would just go to him and be like, I, "I want the Evangelist thing." He'd be like, "All right,
1: like here we go. Hey, this is the Evangelist well, thing." And it's actually it's so. Inextricable from the Blade Runner aesthetic, or has become such Mm -hmm. that, well, I mean, we get into the the next person we're going to talk about. uh, They actually switched composers on Blade Runner twenty forty nine because the person didn't, even though it was a composer that the other that the director had worked with so many times before, because it didn't sound enough like Vangelis. It's just like this. It's not working because <laughs> I need that evangelist sound on right. <laughs> my Blade right. Runner movie.
0: Right. It's. A, I mean, it, yeah. It's. It's such an identifiable, um, like it, it's. It is the Beatles for me at least. It's the Beatles of uh, movie scores. Uh, people are composing music for narratives, uh, if you will, because even that. Back then, that sounded futuristic.
1: Mm -hmm. Listening to it just now, it still sounds futuristic. Futuristic, but also not unrecognizable, which was, I think, part of the genius of the Blade Runner aesthetic, where you're looking at it and it's undeniably the future, but it's so recognizable as something that could easily be your future. You know, that could easily just be... Right down the road. Yeah. And that evangelist sound is right there too. Like using, obviously using instruments in existence, not creating anything out of whole cloth, but it's like two steps removed from where you are right now.
0: Yeah. And I mean, that's the trick with synths, right? Is like people were like using them as new music or new ways to make music, but they were hopefully employing old music ways, ways to make music. Same way they did with fucking distorted guitars. You know, there, yeah. there's just there's just a there's there's a good melody and there's a good way to build melody and do all this stuff, and you you compare something like that, which is way more sophisticated than like John Carpenter's work or even Tangerine Dreams, honestly, uh, and but it it achieves the same thing. Um, if you I don't know if you've listened to any evangelist's stuff like outside of film, but it is very much you, you find yourself kind of wanting. Uh, it to be for a film that makes sense.
1: Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. W-
0: yeah, which is which is you know kind of uh it gets into like the synesthesia of, of listening to music, uh and and it just like you you hear it and you're like oh I can make up my own narrative instead of having this grafted onto it, um which to be honest that's what I think most music is sub- good music is supposed right. to do, uh and uh, and you shouldn't be told what something is about. Uh, unless it's this from Vangelis, and then he's going to tell you, and you're, you're going to be like, yep, that's what it's about. Uh, I didn't even realize we had this this good a segue into what we're going to talk about next. Now, we're going to jump a bunch of years forward, um, and um, these lessons that these guys laid down have not been forgotten, and I think, Dave, the, the three of those competitors that we just talked about have been sort of integrated into how people are making stuff you can surely hear a bunch of, like, knockoff John Carpenter in any horror film. Mm-hmm. Like, they can hire just somebody with a fucking, like, DX7. Uh, today is still a DX7. Um, and, like, be doing that stuff. But, again, it depends on, like, how it meshes with the music. And then if it can exist, like, outside of it at all. Um, for the next two people we're going to talk about, I think it can. Uh, Johan Johansson. Icelandic composer. First off, how would you describe Mandy to somebody
1: who is like has no idea what we're talking about? Oh my gosh. It is a demonic heavy metal fever dream that Mm -hmm. has kind of a bare narrative to hold it together, but the narrative is almost incidental to enjoyment of the movie. Like you get into a hallucinogenic movie space Mm -hmm. and you just have to ride the vibe of the movie. And if you can't do that, then there is nothing there for you. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's pretty right. I don't know – a lot of what is used in the film is use of color. Mm-hmm. Um, everything is oversaturated There's not a single scene that you're going to look at and be like Oh this is some good lighting Everything is oversaturated um, Everything is I hesitate to say dreamlike um, Because it, like I said It is it is nightmarish um, But it's not like And this was me This is my hold off on watching it So I'm like I don't need that I'm like yeah you kind of do um, But It's what it sounds like to me, that's most fascinating. And again, this movie wouldn't work without the the sound. Absolutely. It, it, if it was just Nicolas Cage, like chainsaw and, chainsaw fighting motherfuckers, um, and the various other thing he he does, uh, it it just wouldn't work. But when you have a track like "Forging the Beast," which is look, this is a very simple track, and and, and we'll talk about this what this does, but it. This is just the entire tone of the film.
1: So, yeah, I think that captures the, f- the movie really well. Like there's just <laughs> that palpable pounding sense of dread throughout the whole thing. And it's, it, you know, what you said about it being like uh, nightmarish is completely appropriate because I, I think there are a lot of filmmakers who try too hard to make something look like something that you might think someone would say they saw in a nightmare instead of mm-hmm. giving you the feeling of what a nightmare actually is. And that's what this is. Like you said, the colors are all off. There are, you know, aspects of it that leap around and don't make narrative sense. They don't connect, but there is always that feeling of building, building dread. You know, that something is wrong the whole time.
0: So many, so many different shades of red. Like the, Mm -hmm. it's not even like people like it's bathed in red. It's like, it's not that there's like, it took like the red thing and chopped it up into like a million different like parts of the spectrum. And like when, when stuff like this plays, I love that they stole a trick from Tangerine dream from what we heard teetering scales. It's just that repetitive done. And same thing with John Carpenter. It's just this repetitive thing with a couple things sliding in underneath it, but not really, you know, you're just, that's what your focus is. You're like, yeah, you get locked into that. And I think that works too, because by getting locked into that, you get this feeling where I there's nowhere I can go. Like maybe there's stuff happening outside this. Maybe there's stuff happening in this track, but I am trapped in this. The only thing I can hear is that driving, pounding beat. Mm. Um, and yeah, it, it's a perfect encapsulation of that film, uh, which I, I can't recommend more to people. Um, for I mean, look if you if you're into if you're into the drugs, <laughs> try that. <laughs> but. Uh, I think it was made for that. Um, but it, it was just or or, yeah. or don't. It, or might, don't. <laughs> it yeah. might it might not be the best thing sometimes. Check your mental state. Yeah. And if you're feeling good about yourself then do this. You'll feel fantastic afterwards. If you're not feeling good about yourself, you maybe maybe hold this one back. Um similar to uh Johansson, a guy who has been uh killing it to the point that I think this is well this isn't mostly what he does now. Uh, because there's a new album coming out with him and a bunch of guys. It's fantastic. Uh, Colin Stetson, a uniquely uh, just freak of a of a saxophone player and, and composer, uh, has he, he's played with Arcade Fire. He put out uh, his remarkable albums with Sarah Newfold. He put out his own solo albums that involved like robot horses on an island, like overthrowing some like fascist regime just this remarkable imagination. And so it was only a matter of time before he started doing films. He did uh, the hereditary soundtrack. He might've done the Midsummer soundtrack. He recently, he recently did like whatever the Friday the 13th reboot or something. Wow. The the Netflix had, no, it was Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Excuse me. Right. So, so he's dialed into like what this is and what he is about. Um, And he did, the soundtrack for a movie that was the last movie I saw in theaters before the pandemic, uh, "Color Out of Space," also starring Nicolas Cage, <laughs> um, which again, um, if "Color Out of Space" did not have the work of Colin Stetson integrated throughout the whole thing, there's no way it would work. Like it is,
1: it is a b movie (laughs) 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 but honestly that's a higher grade than most lovecraft adaptations get so i think so and and and, and, like people hated that movie but but
0: i i I saw it and like immediately was like i have to get the soundtrack because of stetson's touch on this uh these are like the opening credits west of arkham arkham was like the town in lovecraft stuff uh and the university uh but uh Take a listen to this and, again, see what you've – I think you know what's going to be going on. I don't know why that little knocking sound is so disturbing to me in that track. Partially because I've seen the movie, I think. I know the story. Mm-hmm. But he uses sound, um, you know, when his saxophone finally comes in, uh, it's not highlighted. It's just like supporting all these different sounds that he, he has made. He's made like a horror movie in its own in like four minutes. Yeah. Um, and that to me, um, going back to like listening to that empire strikes back record, these composers are tasked with actually, you know, complimenting the scenes or like, you know, when, when Han and Leia have to kiss, like they have to have something underneath it and stuff. The great ones though are doing this work that actually can stand on its own. And, um, it's up to I think it's up to us to, like, kind of, like, get, r- separate the context. Like, it's fun to listen to the Star Wars theme, or anything Colin Stetson does, really, you know, in the context of a film, a soundtrack. Like, it reminds you, you have that, like, nostalgic hook. Like, oh, I saw that, and I remember that theme that came up. But if you listen right. to it outside of it, this is, like, incredibly valid music. And this is yeah. where we, we, you know, we do have classical composers, but I, I think, these, these composers of film and television music are, are often get like kind of a short shrift uh because clearly anybody with a two octave keyboard for example which we're about to prove can do this um but uh you know like Louis weeks I don't know if you remember him like that, that this do. was his job yeah this is his job he was he was doing stuff for video games and films and it's now he's doing it like as an independent contractor or something but he was doing it for a company that does this stuff but these people are doing it at a level where it it is if you look back at colin stetson's work or Johan johansson's it's not so much like oh that's just the guy i did mandy it's like oh this is his actual body of work right you know what i'm saying and and it needs to be considered as like oh is this person actually a fantastic composer i think the answer for all these guys is yes
1: Yeah, I agree. And I I think that's a great point you made about folks getting short shrift. Like other than, you know, the the real titans of Mm -hmm. the genre, the only names you hear that are that are brought up as, you know, household names or even just that casual folks would know um, are usually people who made their, you know, who made their career. In, I guess, more traditional music forms and then started doing films like Johnny Greenwood gets a lot, you know, gets a lot of props. Yeah. Atticus Ross gets a lot of props uh, because they were doing something else that got them noticed beforehand. And they both do great work, but they didn't start by doing film scores.
0: Yeah. Johnny Greenwood is a good example uh, and somebody maybe we should have played because his stuff is. It started off very radio heady. I mean, that's what people wanted him to do. Um, But it it has evolved Um, and and I think it's – when you are required to write to a narrative or think about a different narrative, maybe it forced him to like consider like radically different instrumentation Uh, and and like what you want to say. Because invariably it's what these people are trying to say. And you're competing with like what the filmmaker is trying to say.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's a a tough balance to, you know, bring your own aesthetic in and then make it work with the movie. You've got to have the right fit of, uh, you know, the right fit between the composer and the movie. But also, I don't know, it's, you have to be somewhat subservient to the film's vision without giving up what makes your music unique. It's it's a really tough balance, I think.
0: Yeah, and it's very different, I think, from doing pop music pop music for stuff. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, maybe we'll head into the danger zone, Paul. <laughs> I don't know. Oh but, no. <laughs> no, no, we won't head into the danger zone. I, you know, but like, if you think about, uh, uh, actually that's a good example. The Top Gun soundtrack back in the day, I listened to it and it's all stuff that was arguably made for the song, for the, for the movie. All these tracks are, are geared towards scenes in the movie, but they're pop tracks. Um, the new one, like they just I, I guess they found like the biggest stars or whatever. it's It's sort of like the weird James Bond phenomenon of like get somebody to do the the theme song and then like somebody else to do like literally the narrative, sing the narrative of this one scene and keep going like that. Um, and and so that to me seems like a little bit of a lost art and a lost opportunity because what like say people like John Hughes did back then, was he went around he was basically the r guy and he went around to clubs in Chicago and was like, What is this band playing? Like, who's this on the radio? Oh, we're gonna we're gonna put them in the film. We're going to maybe even craft scenes around like some kind of wonderful was basically him being like, I can include all these bands that I love.
1: Oh, you know, I, I had no idea about that. And it's uh, it's a so much more interesting approach than folks now who are like uh which pop song can we slow down and put a, have a children's choir sing? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That is. (laughs) Yep. Or I I will say as much as I did not like the, uh, the Dune score is okay, but as much as I did not like the Dune movie, the, the, the perversion of Pink Floyd in the trailers was pretty, pretty good. Uh, Not so much in the Batman. (laughs) <laughs> you know,
1: yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's good. There's a reason they do that for the trailers, right? It works, but well, it, the song boy. is
0: proven to work. That's why they yeah. do it. The song, the song, and, and all these composers, the song is like not proven to work. They may be <laughs> drawing from stuff they know is going to work, but like, I mean, Highway to the Danger Zone was not a hit without Top Gun. That's true. It was so far outside of Kenny Loggins shit at that point, but. You have that video, and it's just like, "Oh shit, they're flying planes! It's the danger zone! Oh my god!" And and that now is so ingrained in society. It's on fucking Archer.
1: I was gonna say, <laughs> do we even have Archer without Danger Zone? I no. feel like those two are <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> tied together.
0: So, but uh, that 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 might be. It. We might be do an entire other show about uh, pop uh, music. In great. In- and stuff yeah right now though we're going to be incredibly self-serving um uh, because i have been influenced by all of these people uh more in in prepping for this i realized i am probably going to get sued by john carpenter and Colin stetson i'm
1: i'm okay with that i think i think i'm okay if
0: if they want to take legal
1: action but i i don't think you're going to get sued i think that all great artists stand on the shoulders of giants, right? You've got your, you've got your influences and you wear them on your sleeve and you do something entirely different with them.
0: Yeah. And what I did with them, um, which is something that I hope to be finished this year, Uh, around October last year, I started thinking about a fake horror movie that was centered around our neighborhood. That was about, we have a river running under uh, South Delaware and, you know, Lots of horror movies with tunnels, dripping water, and lake monsters, and all that stuff. And I said, you know, there needs to be some. Che- oh, there's a there's a tower too. You'll see this. There's a tower that sacrifices definitely happen in Bayview. Everything is like cottage level, and then there's this like twenty story tower. You know oh, what happens, fun. Paul? You've seen fucking movies. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. So so I so I started writing this, and I got the theme, and I was like, I can't finish this by Halloween, but I'm aiming to finish it by this Halloween. So right now I'm going to play, uh, this is my uh, pseudonym or whatever, Maximilian Reinhardt. Uh, This is the opening credits to a fake horror movie called Dark River. So, Paul,
1: what's about to happen?
0: <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> boy, uh, given that given the river setting, it seems like probably our protagonist has either dropped into the river or has, for some reason, had to walk along the side of the river. Oh, things okay. are getting dark. Something's something's coming for him, but they don't know yet. The audience you knows. We've, you think there's you think there's tentacles? There might be tentacles. There might mm. just be creatures. Whatever it is. We've seen them, or at least we've seen oh, hints okay. of them dipping okay. in down to the water. This is good. The We're protagonist, shopping. yeah, the protagonist hasn't seen them yet. They're walking along. They're getting nervous because of where they are, but they don't know something's there. I mean they they know in the back of their head, yeah, something's yeah. wrong,
0: yeah. but they don't
1: know something's there. O-
0: only the top lights are on in the tower, and like the fog is go. like go, coming up over South Shore Park, and uh, yeah. Yeah, that's about right. Uh, if it, if you want to help me write this,
1: <laughs> still yeah, got to write. Like, let's a, do it.
0: I got to write a spec script uh, for that. Um, there is going to be, um, because I am a traditionalist, a uh, pop dance scene song, you know, where the people are like, carefree, like, nothing's going on. And so you have to have like, I think Crispin Glover and like one of the Friday 13ths like that type of thing. Also, there's going to be a metal song in the final credits. Oh, cuz love it. Cuz Dream Warriors, right? Yeah. You got to. Yeah. So um so uh you can get that. You, or you can listen to it wherever. Not Spotify, but uh we digress.
1: Uh one of the You should set- get it. The whole the whole yeah, uh, EP, all of your EPs are really good. So no, people thanks, should man. just buy those.
0: Yeah. I think so.
1: You you'll pay for this mic
0: that I'm talking on. Um <laughs> so uh, all that said, I want to circle back to uh, not John Carpenter, but what got me into music in the first place, which is John Williams. I don't um, – he's supposed to come to Milwaukee soon, I and, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to see him. Uh, but I don't know if there has been a more impactful composer on music in my lifetime than John Williams. Uh, if you think about Star Wars – you could start and stop there. Mm-hmm. Raiders of the Lost Ark, though.
1: Jurassic um, Park.
0: Jurassic Park. Fucking, <laughs> he, this man has this uncanny, first of all, I mean, it, it, it's a lot to do with who he's working with. A lot of this stuff is for Steven Spielberg. Most of this stuff is. Um, and uh, he he has this uncanny ability to not only perfectly complement the images on the screen, but create this whole world that if you didn't see anything Spielberg ever did and you heard this stuff, A, you'd think it was pop classical. It's very it's it's not it's not mm-hmm. it's not like Baroque or anything. It's very pop. But also you'd be like, man, this guy is a is a storyteller. He's a legend. Uh this there was a a piece of music that I said was my favorite of the 21st century by Arturo Ferro. Um And uh, it was off this album, dreaming in lions. This is probably my favorite piece of music of the 20th century um, and make of that what you will. But uh, this is why I play piano. This is why I play anything. This is just a fantastic uh, little short, burst from uh, a film full of it, uh, E.T. the Extraterrestrial this is Over the Moon The way Williams intertwines parts there and, um, again, tells a story. I know what – it's called Over the Moon. Everybody knows what happens if they see an E.T. Like it's when it's flying over the moon. But like without words and in a very complex way, there's like five different voicings going on and each of them start playing a, a different melody at some point. And somehow he locks them all in without in in pop music that's easy to do because it's drums so you keep the drums or the bass going you can go you can go all over the place as long as you have that center classical not so much especially this where it's not like there's not like a rolling timpani there's not uh, except for that piano line like there's there's not an anchor and that piano line drops out then he starts playing like jazz shit uh, it, it is um. It's just a remarkable piece of music that whole, that whole soundtrack is. But you know, when we talk about like people who are making the giants who are making music uh, of the 20th century and 21st century, like it is, you just can't exclude like John Williams. In you can't look at pop stars over like John Williams. I if mean, that makes
1: sense. He's, he's an absolute legend and, yeah. you know, he, he, his music is so good that even when it's attached to a bad movie, you still want to hear the music. That's I what mean, I'm saying. People <laughs> right. will dog on the star Wars prequels constantly and probably they should. Yeah. But find anyone who will deny Duel of the fates. Correct. Right. Right. right.
0: And, that is – that's why we're talking about this because it, it's a different side of music. You hear – you think about Spotify and people yeah, don't get paid on Spotify or whatever and not everybody has to do this. But this is what making actual this – is, this is doing the math correctly. This is not about emotions necessarily. Um, this is not about your feels. This is about like sitting down and using the tools and the knowledge that you know to evoke a feeling. Yeah. Without your voice. I, I, I want to I point that out too. None of these have vocals. And we think about like modern – it's 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 such a cheat to have a good vocalist. It's great. But like Radiohead without Dom York? <laughs> There's no band, right? You know, um, and and so I think you know uh, people are into like John Carpenter because he's hip. Yeah, he went out on tour. People, the people love that shit, man. Um, but I would I would implore people who maybe don't usually do so to like start just digging into stuff. Take your favorite movie that didn't have pop songs in the soundtrack, and like. Look it up on Spotify or Apple Music or whatever you use, and like just listen to it. Take an
1: hour. You're not gonna be able to put it on in the background. I, I want to stress
0: that too. You have to listen to it.
1: Maybe you can. I I did a bunch of work to Mandy the other day. That was some but, wild you've Mandy. <laughs> but, you, but you've heard but but you've heard that's <Mandy>. true. <laughs> that's the true. The first
0: the first time you do it, and then you'll find stuff. Yeah, I mean, look. And this is this is also it's different from instrumental music. There's a great uh, Gregory Moreau uh, or Murray, I think is how you say it. Bill Frizzell did a album last year called Two years ago called Americana. Absolutely astounding. Um, it's and it's just covers, instrumental covers of like American classics. Even though Dire Straits is on there, I don't get that. But <laughs> but uh, n- now, yeah, I put that on the background. But when I first heard it, I was like, oh shit. Yeah. Um, and and this stuff can be a, a bridge between like pop and jazz. You know, you can be like, oh, wait, I didn't realize I really like the sound of violins on stuff that are actually doing stuff instead of like, you know, never going to close my eyes. You you could you could like then find a jazz violinist. You know, or at the very least fucking okay. can- <laughs> Just dig into Colin Stetson's catalog. I don't know how deep you
1: are into Colin Stetson's catalog, but man, uh, I'm not that deep into it. But man, I will tell you that sorrow still knocks me on my ass every right? time I listen to it. Right? Yeah,
0: we did. We, yeah, we did a show about that, and it's just like, yeah. what is is this heavy? And that's a reinterpretation of a of a classical piece. Yes, um, but he he brings it forward, and it just. Uh, so I, th- I think to wrap this up, um, I think we would both agree like people need to listen to more music like this. Absolutely,
1: I I need to listen to more music like this. I was really glad uh, when you brought this up as a podcast right. topic because it gave me a good excuse to go back and you know listen to some scores I hadn't listened to in a while, dig out some stuff that I hadn't really hadn't really thought about outside the context of the movie, and uh, and think about it more. So thanks. I, yeah, I appreciate it. And I think this is stuff that people should listen to more of.
0: I, I had a roommate in college or a roommate, a friend lives up the street. And he created this, the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. He created this entire narrative off one of the songs off that about his like sexual conquests. Oh, but boy. it was, it, no, but, but here's the thing. Like he was actually listening to this stuff and it was amazing because it was fucking hilarious. He was like, here's the movie I'm making. <laughs> and, uh, you know. Uh Jim Cowland, if you're listening. Um, but yeah, it was it was just like that type of uh how how deeply that can spark your imagination, even if it's uh, uh lewdly <laughs> like on the sixth grade level, uh, is is remarkable. And that's why I still listen to that stuff. Um, you know, and there there are I think there's great hybrids. I think the uh, the Magnolia soundtrack for one. Um, John oh, Brian yeah, is fantastic. John Brian is all over that, um, and those are mainly songs. But but really, um, yeah. It, when somebody comes out with uh, even now TV, I guess Netflix has a huge budget. Like just find this stuff and like give it an hour. Yeah, you know, spend some time with it. Yeah. All right. We done. I think so. Thanks, right. Kevin. Yeah. So we'll uh, you go watch Firestarter, um, and I'll, I'll put together a movie list for when you're out here in July. Um, Solid. And, Can't and wait. Thank you for hanging out on this Memorial Day week.